Hello, church. Uh, Pastor Adrian here. I hope everyone is well. Before our sermon today, I need to make a number of announcements before we get started here. First of all, by the grace of God, we will start Sabbath school here in Mount Pleasant on the fourth Sabbath of this month. I know that many people are very excited about coming back and having our services uh, uh, starting to get back to normal. And uh, we've, we've started already in Paris. It's been a good experience from uh, what I've heard. So we're very excited about that. I just want to make that note. And if you have any questions or comments about that, please call myself or one of the other leaders. I did uh, receive uh, some concern this week from those who want to come back to church and who want to help uh, with Sabbath school, there are some who are um, still very concerned about their health and the health of the people in their family. And so I just want to encourage everybody who comes for Sabbath school and for church, I just want to remind people that the poor, the board has come together along with the, the uh, Texas Conference and other guidelines that have been given to us. We have uh, chosen to follow these guidelines as we are reopening our church. There are guidelines for social distancing, for sanitizing after you use the bathroom or, or do something like that. There are guidelines uh, that we are wanting our church to practice. And so some of you who will be returning, you will see some not wearing masks and others who are wearing masks. And so we're asking to be sensitive on both ends of those who are and who are not. If you see somebody who is wearing a, a mask, please be sensitive to the concern they have for their own health. Please be sensitive to social distancing guidelines as well. Nobody is asking people to distance with their own family, but there are those who are wanting uh, to distance with families of others. And so just please continue to be aware of these things as we continue moving forward with reopening our church and I just want to again ask that you would pray for our church as we continue moving forward. And uh, this is, a, again, a difficult time with difficult decisions as we move forward. So let's all be as united as possible. We're all going to get through this soon enough. It will pass. It will pass. It will have its time on the world stage, and it will pass like other diseases and other um, epidemics and problems that our, our planet has faced. And we know this is just uh, one more evidence that we are coming to the end of time. So please be sensitive to everyone who is coming. I also want to say that with the uh, restart of Sabbath school on the fourth Sabbath, our online services will be changing as well. They have been interactive in the past few months since we've had them. But starting on the fourth Sabbath, they will be a listening-only service. So as you tune in to, those, to the online services that we've been doing, as you call in, you'll notice that uh, there won't be interaction. It will be a listen-only program. So please be aware of that as well. 
And I also want to remind us also that in September, on the 11th, we will begin our Islam and Christianity evangelistic meetings. I recently got in touch with Tim Rosenberg, and he is uh, still a go for the evangelism uh, to start at that time. He is uh, excited about it. He's, he's ready to do it. And so uh, he made some recommendations of some things that we, w- we can do uh, that we will discuss this Monday in our board meeting. So please be praying about that. Please be thinking about how we can get the momentum going again for this evangelistic effort in our church and in our community. It's not an easy time to do uh, evangelism, even by September's. Uh, So please uh, keep those things in prayer. Having said those things, uh, I would like to turn to our passage for today, which is in Matthew chapter 28. And as I said last week, this this is really a two-part sermon. So if you were not able to listen to last week's message, I would encourage you to do that. We really examine verses 16 and 17 here in Matthew 28. And today we'll be looking at verses 18 through 20. And really, we'll be looking at, uh, at the meaning of these things and, and their importance for us. Uh, as last week, we looked at the why. So Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And it reads, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you so much, Lord, for this Sabbath. Thank you so much for your holy word and these words to us 2,000 years later, God, that still have such a deep impact in why we do church and why we are together. I just want to pray, God, as we examine this today, that you would guide me with your Holy Spirit. May these be your words Uh, to your sheep and not mine. I pray that each heart listening would be open to the message that you have for them today, that your spirit would be leading, that Jesus would be lifted up, and your word spoken and believed in. In Christ's name, amen. Um, I'd like to share something here from Pastor Sung Kwan. He has served as the executive director of the North American Division Uh, of Adventist Community Services since 2001. And he shares about a time that he and his family were walking in a park and they were walking uh, next to a river nearby. And as he knelt down the riverbanks, he noticed something very interesting. As he started to get into the water, he noticed a very beautifully decorated box that was floating down the river. And you know, there are many different reasons why people do these things for uh, traditional reasons or celebrations or whatever the occasion might be. But he noticed a beautifully decorated box that was floating down 
uh, the river that he was that he was standing on the banks of. And as this was passing by, he was admiring how nice it was and how it flowed with the river. And then all of a sudden, he also noticed something else going in the opposite direction. It was a very small fish, a very small fish. And it was swimming upstream. It was swimming with, uh, with enthusiasm, and it was swimming with what seemed to be a, a goal in mind. Maybe it was going to some breeding grounds, or maybe it was going to find some food, but it was, it was swimming very vehemently upstream. And he noticed at the same time, these two objects, one an inanimate object and one a fish, going in two opposite directions. One of them was beautifully decorated, was very attractive to the eye, uh, provoked a lot of questions, but... It was simply going with the flow. And the other one, very small, almost unnoticed. If it had not been so near to him, he may not have noticed it. And he, know, he mentions in his book, um, Burst the Bubble, that it wasn't even big enough to put in a sandwich. It wouldn't have fed anybody. It was that small of a fish. But it was swimming with a purpose. And the difference between the two was that one of them had life, and one of the other did not. Obviously, the, the box is an inanimate object with no life at all, with no spark of life. It simply flowed with the river. And the fish, which had life and purpose, went in the opposite direction. And so, as a church, if we do not have this life within us, no matter how good we might look on the outside, no matter how eloquent, no matter how we present maybe certain truths or practices, if we don't have life within us, we are merely like that box just going with the flow. But if we do have that spark of life within us, we can go against the current of of the greatest rivers if we have purpose and life within us. And this this passage today in Matthew 28 has for centuries and even millennia sparked life in many a Christian and in many a churches over the ages. Many of a, a mission a mission field has been visited because of these verses. Many an evangelistic meetings, many a literature has been handed out, many a prayers, many a Bible studies have been done because of these few verses here. Because in these verses, these this commission that Jesus gives to his disciples is our purpose for existence. Everything in here revolves around our Savior. This entire commission that is given is the purpose for our church existing. And within these words, we see that Jesus is at the very center. Jesus is at the very center of every single one of these commands. 
Now, what do I mean by that? Well, Jesus, it says here that he came and he spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. The authority by which the church goes forth is the authority of Christ, which God gave him. And Jesus, having received that authority, he actually delegates it to the church. He delegates it to his disciples. Now, I want us just to stop there for a second about what that really means. You know, naturally, I'm a timid and shy person. To do things like hand out literature or to speak to people uh, about God that I don't know, uh, that's something that's not naturally uh, within me. I remember when I was doing literature evangelism in college uh, that that was quite a learning experience for myself. And uh, I could be often quite timid and quite quite shy. But when I think about this, that when I am sharing something with somebody or with when I am witnessing to somebody, if I am doing it with the authority of Jesus Christ himself, then it's not about me. It's not even about how that person is going to treat me. I, I come to realize that I am speaking to somebody with the authority and in the power and in the name of Jesus Christ himself. I am becoming an agent of Jesus Christ himself. And therefore, I do not have to fear whatever that person's reaction might be against me. What, whatever the outcome of what I'm doing is, it is, is all being done by the authority of Jesus Christ. So he is the one who is responsible for the results, not myself. So even from the beginning, we see here that the authority is the authority of Jesus Christ. And then he tells his disciples to go. This mission is the mission of Jesus Christ. He tells them to make disciples. Now, how do they know how to do that? He just showed them for three and a half years. So they use the method of making disciples of Jesus Christ. And he tells them to baptize them in his name, along with the Father and the Holy Ghost, and to teach all things that he has taught them, and that he would be with them until the end of the age. So we see this this commission is all Christ-centered. It, it is not church-centered. It's not uh, minister-centered. It's not an individual-centered. It's all centered in the Savior, Jesus Christ. And so this is a great motivation for the church when we realize that it all centers around our crucified and resurrected Savior. And as we reflect on this, this passage here, this commission that Jesus has given It is impossible not to talk about the mission of the church. As we look at this passage, we do a great disservice if we don't talk about the purpose of the church's existence. I'd like to continue reading something here um, from uh, Pastor Kwan's book, Burst the Bubble, here on page 63. Uh, He says, 
As a church, if we do not have a clearly defined mission or understand the purpose of our existence, we are no different than the box that he mentioned before in his illustration. Then he quotes here from David J. Boschk, who said, Mission is not primarily an activity of the church. No, it's, it's not something that we do. But an attribute of God. God is a missionary God. Of course, you can come to that conclusion. How Jesus left heaven. The comforts and the safety of heaven. The worship of the angels of heaven to come to this earth. Not to be served, but to serve. He goes on to say, Mission is therefore seen as a movement from God to the world. The church is viewed as an instrument for that mission. There is a church because there is mission, not vice versa. To participate in mission is to participate in the movement of God's love toward people. Since God is a fountain of sending love, this is why we must follow God's inspiration and instruction to have a plan and make the journey. So what he's saying here is that as a church, we don't come together and and then try to discover, well, well, what is our mission? It's already been plainly given to us in Scripture. It's right there. But it's not just something that the church does as an activity, like it's one of the things that we do. But it's, a, it's the character of God, and therefore it should be the character of the church as well. And so having said that, if a church is not missional, if it's not reaching out to its community, if it's not reaching out with the gospel, then is the church really a church at all? Is that the kind of church that Jesus established 2,000 years ago? No, it is, it is not. See, the whole purpose for the church's existence is mission. And it is, is a sad reality that many times as a church we can get rather inward focused. We can focus too much on ourselves. We can t- focus too much on our problems or our differences or our imperfections. And when we start looking inward, then that's when the problems really start. I, I had a professor once tell me in my undergraduate at Southwestern that a church that is not fishing will fight. It only makes sense. If we're not spending our energy to, to bring others to the foot of the cross and to proclaim the three angels' message, we're going to spend our energy on each other. And, and that's what I have seen. A church that does not fish fights. So a lot of times our problems will be resolved as we start looking outward outside of the four walls of the church, as we remember our mission that Jesus has given us here and in other places in Scripture, and we remember what the purpose of the church really is. And that reminds me of a quote from Ellen White from the Acts of the Apostles. 
It's on the beginning page. It's one of my favorite quotations, and there are few that are clearer uh, when it come, when talking about the mission of our church. She says here simply, the church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. It was organized for service, and its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. Now, when she says it was organized for service, I she is not talking about church service, you know, the order of our service on side. She's talking about service. What, what service? Service to others. Service to each other and service to our community. That's why the church was organized. And in fact, you can see that taking place in the first few chapters of the book of Acts. You see this, this community that comes together of believers that are helping to clothe and feed and house one another as uh, many Christians who are just coming to the faith are being rejected by their own families. The church is taking them in, and they're trying to learn how to grow together. They're trying to learn how to minister to one another. And so by the time we get to Acts chapter 6, we know the passage there where they had to uh, appoint the deacons so that they could have a fair distribution, uh, both to the Greek-speaking Jews as well as, as the local Hebrews. And so we see this church that is, that is growing in service and, and in love and in, in, in the Holy Spirit. So this, this is the mission of the church. And I believe when... We as as a congregation, when we are reminded of that and we focus on this is the goal, this is what we're moving towards, then it sparks life back into the church again. We all need to be reminded at times. We all need to be reminded again and again what is the mission of the church. And so Jesus lays it out here plainly. And as a church, as a, as a denomination, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, there are some things that we do rather well that I have to say I'm, uh, that are impressive. As a church, as a denomination, when it comes to, say, for example, teaching Bible truths, this is a strong point in our church. Doctrines about the Sabbath, Doctrines about the state of the dead, uh, about the second coming. These type of doctrines that we, we know very well, if, if, if you ever have any questions on them, you can usually find somebody in the church who can explain these things or come to the Bible and bring you to the Bible and, and teach them very well. We have Bible studies galore. We have tracts. We have all kinds of evangelistic meetings. When it comes to teaching this is one of our stronger points. And when it comes to things like going, uh, being missionary, the Seventh-day Adventist Church is, is second to none when it comes to being organized around the world as a missionary movement. The only other denomination really that is as organized or maybe more organized or more uh, uh, missional is the Catholic Church itself, which has been around uh, for, for 2,000 years. So 
there are some things that we do very well. We understand about baptism. And as a denomination, we embrace the, the doctrine of the Trinity, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now, recently there has been, even within our own uh, church, there has been some challenges to that. But I don't have time to get into that. But as Seventh-day Adventist, we believe in the Trinity. Amen. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are all divine. Since the, before the beginning of time, they have been in communion with one another. And we still believe and we baptize in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But I want to just take a minute here and uh, just for a moment to talk about the importance of discipling. Because this is one thing that was brought to my attention years ago that really not only the Adventist church, but many Protestant churches have sadly neglected or not been so strong on this particular point of discipling. Now, I I could preach a sermon just on this one point itself. But recently, in my own studies of the Bible and understanding of discipleship, some things have become rather clear to me. Some things have come to my attention that has given me great encouragement. You see, when I think of taking somebody as a disciple under my wing, I have often thought of this as something for spiritually elite Christians. I have often thought of this as something that uh, is for those who have their act together so well that when somebody follows them or learns from them or hears the words coming out of their mouth, that they will no doubt know that they were in the presence of somebody who was truly ordained by God to train and teach others. And so I've often thought, well, I fall short of being a, a real discipler, somebody who can make disciples of someone else. Even, even as a minister, I have felt uh, some insecurity about this because I didn't quite understand biblically what discipleship was really all about. Now, of course, I had an idea. We all have, uh, we can read the Gospels and see how Jesus Christ discipled his, his uh, 12 disciples, but that's Jesus Christ. And then we can go to the book of Acts and look at Paul and how he discipled Timothy and Titus and others, but that's the great apostle Paul. I mean, you know, how can you compare yourself with, with these Uh, in the Bible. But something I've learned recently is that in reality, discipleship is, again, not for those who are spiritually elite. Not at all. Discipling is not about somebody who has all the answers or who's in a great evangelist or somebody who has such a wealth of knowledge of the Bible that they have to be discipling someone else. That's not necessary to be a disciple. To disciple someone else is something different. And it kind of goes back to what I was talking about in my sermon last week. 
If you remember, I was talking there on how we do not have to be perfect in order to fulfill the gospel commission. I spoke there on how someone had written a card, a farewell card to me as I was leaving Japan, and said that they had appreciated my time there and that they learned about being a Christian. And as I thought about that and I reflected on my time there and my mistakes, I realized that this person was watching a young man who was trying his best to be a good Christian for Jesus Christ, despite making mistakes. And so that, that, was a, that gave others an opportunity to learn, if you will, even from my mistakes, and as God in his grace was helping me to grow. And so I, I would like to share something here from a, a book called Discipling, How to Help Others Follow Jesus by Mark Deaver. And, and in here he talks about uh, there is a, a woman, her name is Erin Wheeler. She's a pastor's wife. She, uh, her husband was pastoring in Washington, D.C., and of course, as as a as a pastor's wife, she uh, had this calling in her own life to help disciple young women. And so she took this ministry upon herself. Uh, Aaron did, and as she began this ministry of discipling young women, she she began to ask herself, "How in the world can I do this?" And so this is her testimony. As it goes, another woman showed up at Aaron's house expecting to be discipled. Aaron welcomed her inside, closed the door behind her, and thought to herself, I am a mess. I have no idea what I'm doing here. There certainly isn't any teaching going on today with these crazy hooligan children and my heart in a bad place towards my husband. This is what she was thinking as the young woman came to her house. I shouldn't be teaching anyone. I'm the one who needs discipling. God, what would you have me to do? This is her prayer. This is her reflection as she takes on the ministry of discipling young women. Yet God would soon teach Aaron through situations like these that he would use her weakness as much as her strength. These younger women in the faith needed someone to teach them what it looks like to love God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength, not just in the good times, but in the challenging times as well. And then Aaron goes on to explain, In discipling these women, I try to instruct them and question them. I try to discuss books with them and pray with them. But they would tell me later on that often the best teaching came from simply watching me. They watched God use my weakness in fighting for patience when the day had long since worn me thin. They watched me struggle to love my husband after sharing my struggles with the competing demands of ministry. You see, these women got a front row seat, she observes, to seeing the true jar of clay that she was. But learning this gospel perspective encouraged her to keep pouring herself out like a drink offering. 
knowing that God would use her frailty as a platform to display his strength. And sure enough, again and again, God proved faithful to supply everything she needed to love and serve these younger sisters. So isn't that amazing? That God uses people who don't have it all together, but they do have a sincere love for God. They have a sincere love for other people. And they want to help other people to follow Jesus Christ. And that is fundamentally what is necessary to disciple other people. It's not having everything together. It's not being perfect so that when somebody has a question that you can answer it without blinking. So that when you make a mistake uh, that you don't have to give up on being a disciple maker. And so from that, as I was reading that and I'm looking at the life of Christ and I'm looking at the life of the disciples, that really making disciples is taking other people along with you in your journey. It's inviting them alongside you as you journey with Jesus Christ. And inviting them, yes, even uh, to uh, observe you in, in, in your normal everyday life, and even when you make mistakes, when you do good, when you do things right, when you are used by God, and the times that you may not have it all together. It's simply taking someone alongside you in the journey. Maybe inviting them over for dinner, and then watching your family pray over the meal or do a devotion together. Uh, it's simply taking somebody uh, alongside as you maybe do a hospital visit or, or a share a tract. It, it might just be uh, being with somebody, inviting them uh, to be on a phone call that you're encouraging somebody who is sick or not doing well. It's simply inviting people Along, This is the most important part of being a disciple maker. It's not having all the answers. And so, having understood this, it has changed my perspective of what it means to make a disciple. And so, if you really think about it, this is something that could take years, not months or, or just, you know, a short period of time, I think is... As uh, Christians, or especially as Adventists, we can get quite frustrated when we've done Bible studies with somebody for months, maybe even a year, and they don't make a decision to be baptized and, and to come to God. That's okay. We need to change our thinking about what it really means to fulfill the gospel commission. We have to invest in people long term. We have to invest in, in this mission long term. Even if we don't see the fruits immediately, we know that God is working with us and working with those whom we disciple. So this requires sacrifice on the part of the one trying to help others follow Jesus Christ. And this is one of the most challenging things about making disciples. And I think this might be one of the reasons why, of all these commands that Jesus gives us to go and to teach and to baptize, and remember that I am with you, making a disciple is, is almost has become the great omission 
from the Great Commission because of the time and the sacrifice that it takes to invest in other people. And so I believe this challenges us to think about who are we discipling in our lives. For some, that might just be a child that you are raising. It might be a friend at work. It might be a younger person in the church. It it could be anybody that you are helping to follow and know Jesus Christ better. And so I want to challenge us today to think uh, of at least one person that we can be praying about discipling. And, And don't feel like we have to have it all together before we can do this. Now, I could spend a lot of time on on these other commands that Jesus gives us, um, but I want to end with a story that I read this week that really touched my heart. In some ways, it's, it's a sad story. I mean, it is a sad story, but it's also very encouraging how the legacy of this young woman continued on after her death. Maybe some of you have recently gotten this Mission 360 uh, issue uh, from Adventist Mission. It's volume 8, number 1. And uh, I was reading through here, and there's a story about a young woman named Kirsten. Her name is Kirsten Wilcott. And ironically, uh, she went to be a missionary in the tiny little island of Yap. Those of you remember the sermon last week, I applied to be a missionary there. This young woman um, actually went in the August, I believe it was, of 2009 to be a missionary. Now, I, I don't have time to share the entire article. If you can, if you can read it, it's, it's a beautiful, touching article uh, about this young woman's legacy. But what happened with Kirsten is that she had desired from childhood to be a missionary. And so I believe it was her sophomore year in college, she applied and she went to be a missionary in Yap. And while she was there, about halfway through her service term, uh, she was out jogging one morning, early in the morning, so early that she needed to flashlight. And as Kirsten was out jogging, a man uh, uh, came upon her, uh, a local, and he, he killed her. He stabbed her to death. And the family, of course, was very shocked when they learned of what happened to Kirsten as she was out serving as a missionary. And this happened around uh, Thanksgiving uh, it, was, it was sad as her body was brought home, but along with her body were her belongings, and she had a journal um, that she had been writing in while she was serving there, and she had been writing in before then as well too. But at the end of this, uh, at the end of this edition, um, the end of this story here, the aunt who is writing this article she quotes from her journal. And this is what she says. This was this she wrote just a, a couple of weeks before she was murdered. She writes in her journal, Kirsten, as I study Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, that's where it says there's a, a time for everything, a time for war, a time for laughter, a time to die, and so on. 
She says, I wondered why there are both bad and good things. Why should there be a time for death? But as I read the commentary, I realize that it was to illustrate that nothing lasts forever. We never know when our time is, and so we should take every advantage of the good times we have and work hard to get through the bad times with the help of Jesus, because he wants to help us. Think about it, she continues to write. Someone dies every second. Do you think many of them expected to die? I want my heart to be prepared for death. I want my life to be lived so that there is something good to say about me when I'm gone. And hopefully my death can lead others to eternal life. Come fill my heart today with your thoughts, words, and actions so that I can be a silent witness with my actions. God help me to live each moment like it was my last, so that I will be ready when my time actually comes. Love you. Amen. And her aunt finishes the article this way. I find comfort knowing in my heart that Kirsten rests for now. However, that moment when the trumpet sounds, she will rise and be caught up with Jesus in the heavens where all the mysteries of this world will be revealed. Though her existence was brief on this this earth, Kirsten accomplished her mission. She inspired many to carry the torch and share the light of Jesus in a dark world in need of a Savior. One day in heaven, we'll know just how many people got to know Jesus and accepted Him as their Lord and Savior, because of the impact Kirsten had on their lives. Isn't that beautiful? Now, I have to be honest. When I read this whole article and I got to the end, uh, it it brought tears to my eyes. You know, I I thought about the passion that this young woman had. And if you read the other excerpts from her article, this young woman loved Jesus, and she loved people, and she wanted to serve And she wanted to be a missionary. She wanted to fulfill this great commission that Jesus has given to all of us. And after her death, you would have thought that people would would stop going to Yap to to serve as a missionary. But as a result of her death, people were inspired. And people continued to serve as a missionary in that tiny little island. Moreover, they remember her every year, and they even started this organization, and they started uh, this, this, uh, this movement to end uh, alcoholism and drug use on the island as a result of her death. And there were so many more blessings that, that resulted uh, from her death. But as I read this story with you, I read the story of a young woman who lived her life well for Jesus Christ. She had this life, she had this mission and this purpose to live for Jesus and to live for other people. It sounds to me here like she had no regret in her life of what she did. 
And as I read this story, I see somebody who was sent out by Jesus Christ to tell others about the love of God and their need for a Savior and to simply serve them. What an encouragement. You know, church, it is my hope and my prayer that I can live like this young woman. And it's my hope and my prayer that our church can exist and serve and live like this young woman did. She took the gospel commission seriously. She took the great commission seriously. And it's my hope and my prayer that we do the same. May God bless you and happy Sabbath.